Good morning. Today we turn to the Gospel according to Matthew, in the chapter 14, beginning in the 22nd verse. This is the passage from which we gain the various phrases such as, he thinks he walks on water, or she walks on water, and all of those that are similar, which reflect the idea that a person who thinks themselves to be, or truly seems to be, perfect, is within our midst. There is a certain challenge to developing a message on a well-known or seemingly well-known passage. The question of how to bring fresh eyes to the passage is always pressing. This passage is a favorite for many reasons. First, it is a spectacular miracle. Second, Peter is allowed to participate in the miracle fully, even if only briefly. And finally, it has a positive, the moral of the story ending, much like the television shows of the 60s and 70s, in which the leading characters often stopped and directly explained the moral of the story to the person to whom the lesson was applied, ensuring that nobody at home missed it. From Leave It to Beaver, to My Three Sons, to The Andy Griffin Show, to The Rifleman, to The Brady Bunch and The Partridge Family, and the many, many others. There was so many episodes ending, consisting of a heart-to-heart -heart conversation between the characters as to what lesson was to be learned from the event we had just watched. Our passage today lends itself to such use. And we will take that approach with a small twist in a few moments. First, let me provide some information that fills in the setting. The last thing which had happened just previously in this gospel account is Jesus feeding the multitude of over 5,000 people with only five loaves and two fish to the point where all were full and when gathering the leftovers, there was 12 baskets filled. It is this point that our gospel passage takes up today. And there are some details to notice before we look at the big event of walking on the water. The first one is just the opening line. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Jesus sends the disciples on ahead. And there is no explanation for this given in the text. He sends them on the way, and then he dismisses the crowd by himself. And there are many theories put forward by different theologians as to why, but the only thing that we know for sure is that it gives Jesus the opportunity to go up on the mountain by himself to pray. In this action, that being going up on the mountain to meet with God the Father going up a mountain to pray, we are reminded of the, of the way Moses is, in many ways, a foreshadowing, the technical term being a type of Jesus. Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God the Father, and in his absence, the people lose their vision, and as a result, are in trouble. Jesus went up on the mountain to meet with God the Father, and the disciples being in trouble, lose their vision. They have been at sea all through the night, trying to sail against the harsh winds, and are a long way from land. In the Greek text, it gives a measurement, many stadia, which would work out to be somewhere between 
a mile or two from the shore. The other point that is included in the text is that it is the fourth watch of the night, meaning that it is in the final watch of the night, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So while they are considered in the night, they are just prior to daybreak. Our event, our miracle, occurs the breaking of a new day. Prometheus, bishop of, I can't say this properly, Aquilia, approximately the year 400, gave a spiritualized meaning of the four watches of the night. The first watch from Adam to Noah, the second watch from Noah to Moses, the third watch from Moses to the coming of Jesus, and he then explains that in each of these watches, it was the righteous and the prophets through whom God the Father worked and guided his people, protecting them from sin. Now, in the fourth watch, Jesus is here eternally watchful on our behalf. And this is made known to us when Jesus promised his disciples and his church that he would be eternally watchful after his resurrection, saying, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Regardless of whether one accepts the spiritualization of the four watches, there is a level of value in the consideration of the corollary of Jesus being apart from the disciples briefly. Trouble and despair in his, in his absence, and then in his returning to them at the breaking new day, it is in this event, and in the death, the burial, the resurrection, which would occur shortly thereafter. This foreshadowing tells us, through the experience of the disciples, that even when it seems that Jesus is gone from us, he is actually with us. It is our task to watch and trust. Now then, most people consider the meat of this story. First, the disciples are afraid. Think they are seeing a ghost. What else could travel over the surface of the water, after all? And Jesus must assure them that it is actually, in fact, he himself coming to them in their time of need. Peter, always quick, not always with the thinking about what it is he's actually saying, says, if it is you, Lord, command me to come to you. Jesus responds by calling Peter to join him, walking on the water. And the gospel records what came next in the most simple and matter-of-fact manner. So Jesus, excuse me, so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. And came to Jesus. Peter got out of the boat and walked to Jesus. That's it. Then, once he was there, once he was near Jesus, he looked at the all around him and forgot about the power of Jesus, which had enabled him to walk across that water. And instead, he focused on the trouble and began to sink. Here, as we get here, it is where we get to that teaching point that would be the wrap-up final minutes of an old TV show. Peter was doing what was right, then he strayed into what was wrong. He called out Jesus. Jesus saved Peter, immediately reached out his hand and took hold and saved him. And then Jesus, like the wonderful TV parent, gives a bit of gentle and loving rebuke in the process of conveying the moral of the story. Oh, little faith, why did you doubt? Trust me, 
and take your eyes off me is the point. Now here is a key detail that's often skipped over and sometimes not even acknowledged all in the people who are read by the people who are reading the text. Text says that Peter had walked to Jesus. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And then now in the turning of the story, when Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, all Jesus has to do is reach out his hand and grab Peter. Peter is within reach. Peter is standing side to side with Jesus when his faith falters. We need attention to this because it serves as a warning. Nobody is immune to temptation, possibility of falling into sin. Even those who seem at the pinnacle of faithfulness, those who have seemingly achieved absolute unity with Jesus, standing side by side, can take their eyes off of Jesus and fall into the rough seas of sin. And now, to close, I suggest we can the application for our lives today. Of course, we have what has already been mentioned. Do not take your eyes off of Jesus. And even the most holy may sin. This is both a warning to us that we must always guard our own actions, also a reminder to respond to such occasions in our own lives, in the lives of others, as Jesus did. A rebuke of the failure, for sure, but one that is done gently. But what I want to draw additional lesson from an unlikely source. 1984, a band known for its blending of punk and folk, and certainly not for being Christian. The Violent Femmes released an album titled Hallowed Ground. And on that album was the song Jesus Walking on the Water. The lyrics, sung with a strongly affected Smoky Mountain accent, accent. The lyrics to that song are, Oh my, oh my, oh my, what if it was true? And oh my, oh my, oh my, is it true? Did he, did he, did he die upon the cross? And did he, did he, did he come back across? Jesus walking on the water. See, Jesus walking in the sky. King sand, he took my hand. He raised me up. He brought me up. I can hold my, my head up high. Will I, will I, will I be true to my birth? And will I, will I, will I? what I'm worth. Oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, I come when you come. And yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, Jesus, my all and all. They begin by asking the question, is it true? Did Jesus die on the cross? And yes, he most certainly did. Did Jesus, in their words, come back across? Was Jesus resurrected from the dead, proving his victory over sin, death and the grave? And yes, once again, he did. Then they turned to the outcome of that truth. He took me up, excuse me, he took me and he raised me up, freed me from the sinking sand of sin, and now they, saved by Jesus regardless of their past, can hold their head up. For those who have called out to Jesus and experienced his grabbing our hand, pulling us from the rough seas of sin, we could each, whether in song or not, tell a similar story. You have been given new birth, born again, 
as the Bible says, and you've been made a member of the kingdom of God, royal co-heirs with Jesus himself, having worth more than all of the rest of him. Now then, what are we to do about it? As the song goes, will I, will I, will I be true to my birth? And will I, will I, will I give what I am worth? Answer each and every day, without taking your eyes off of Jesus. Oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. I will come when you call. And yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Jesus, my all in all. Amen.